So today we're going to be continuing talking about the true nature of God. This is the third week. The first week we looked at the history of God's grace before the law between Adam and Moses. Then we looked at how the, the law was actually given through the grace of God for us because we needed something to, to be uh, our guide until Jesus came, until the sacrifice was paid for the fullness of the grace of God and for the fullness of the nature of God to be revealed. So we looked at that, that piece of history. Last week we looked at the, the number one powerful truth that Jesus reveals the nature of God. And if we want to know the nature of God, if we want to know who God is, how he responds to us, how he loves us, look at Jesus. So we looked at many accounts of Jesus through the New Testament and looked at how Jesus points us to the heart of God. Today, part three is entitled, Our Knowledge Affects Our Receiving. Our knowledge of the nature of God affects our receiving. The first statement on your handout that you might want to highlight or underline is that our faith is a direct result of knowing God and knowing the true nature of God. And as we grow to know God more, he's, he's not changing. He is unchanging. He is constant. But our perception of him can change and can grow. And as our perception gains um, uh, knowledge and truth about who he is, our faith rises up. God's part is done. We say this almost every week. God's part is completed. When Jesus paid the price on the cross, the sacrifice was once and for all. And the whole package of redemption is ours as God's kids. But if we don't know, if we don't perceive the goodness of God, if we don't know the fullness of the extravagant grace that he paid the price for, we won't be able to receive because we won't have faith for that. So our faith grows as our knowledge or our perception of the goodness of God grows. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, a verse that we've read the last couple of weeks. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. When Jesus was on this earth, he spoke and he said, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. But my purpose is that you would have life and have it to the full, to the overflow. That's the all things that the scripture is talking about. The fullness of life, the completeness of life. The divine power, knowing the divine power, knowledge of God and of Jesus, has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. So the, 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 good, the gifts, the all things have already been provided, but they are multiplied to us as we gain knowledge, as we gain knowledge. And that's why the title of this is, our knowledge affects our receiving. 
So all things that pertain to life and godliness include all of redemption. Now, if you've been here for a while, you've heard this story a lot. It includes forgiveness of sin, complete remission of sin. That's what forgiveness is. That means it's been wiped off of our record. We've been acquitted. No charges held against us. No guilt. No condemnation because Jesus paid the price that we owed. It includes eternal life. Starting the day you receive Jesus as your Savior and going on for eternity. It includes healing. Healing is part of redemption. We're going to be doing our healing Bible study, our foundational study starting in March. And the first two or three sessions focus on what the Bible says about God's will to heal. And yes, it is his will. It is his will to heal. So healing is a part of those all things. Provision. God is a provider. Provision is part of the all things. Peace. Joy. There's so many pieces of redemption, and it's all part of the all things that pertain to life and godliness. But those things come to us. They're multiplied through the knowledge of the giver of the gifts. If we have wrong knowledge or incomplete knowledge, we're not going to receive the all things. Proverbs 23, verse 7. This is the first part of of the scripture. It says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. As he perceives or thinks in his heart, so is he. So if we think wrong, if we perceive incompletely, we may expect the wrong things from God. You may expect punishment or judgment or withholding of the gifts based on your uh, holiness or lack of holiness. That is misperception. The thing is, you'll get what you believe. You'll get what you expect. The enemy, Satan, is using those misunderstandings to keep people from receiving the fullness of what God has provided for them. He's a deceiver. He's a decept- the, de- the master of deception. And this is one of the big ways he deceives people, even Christians, in this day and age. I want to give you an example of the scripture. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Fran spoke as, as she was opening with prayer about our bodies, and Tom did too, about our bodies. Having the capability to walk in health, And she said, I speak to your body right now. Fran spoke to our bodies. And as we speak, as we, that's what Jesus did. Jesus spoke to the mountain. He spoke to the bodies. He spoke to the issue. And as we do that, our faith rises up to believe the finished work. There's power in our words. Over the last couple of weeks, I have had three attacks on my physical body with viruses. And you know that those things, those things we know, they go around in the world. I choose not to receive them. And I speak that over my body all the time. And because I speak it over my body all the time, I believe it. And when something tries to attack me, I say, what? You have no right in my body. 
couple weeks ago, my husband had a really nasty cough and yucky stuff going on in his body. And the whole time that he was fighting that, I, was, I did things wisely. Like I didn't drink out of his glass. We, didn't, we, share, well, we share glasses and water all the time. But I didn't when he was fighting a cold. Um, I was careful, you know, just to do things wisely. Um, and I spoke over my body. And the way that I speak over my body is I simply say, Father, I thank you that my immune system is strong, that you created my body to work. Our bodies are a miracle, just the way our bodies work. God created our bodies to heal themselves. And I said, Father, I thank you that I have such a strong immune system that no virus can come in this body and live. If any virus touches my body, it is simply surrounded and destroyed. Well, um, I think it was last month, no, two weeks ago on Monday, I left here and I felt symptoms of a cold. And I immediately said, oh, no, no, you have no right to my body. The next morning I woke up. God speaks to me a lot. First thing when I wake up when my brain isn't really working yet. And I heard him speak to me something like this. He said, you've been speaking to your body. And you've been telling it, you know, you're not receiving that. And he said, just watch. That's going to leave as fast as it came. Now, I wasn't even praying. I wasn't even thinking about that. And I got that little, that little nugget that Father got this good girl. Just watch. Something like that. And I journaled that. I, I, when I feel like God is speaking to me, I write it down in my journal. That was on Tuesday morning that I journaled that. On Thursday morning, I journaled, it's completely gone. So I had like two days of a runny nose. That's it. My God is good. And then I had two more attacks. Um, this one, and I'm actually going to pray over this because it's just, I'm not going to let the devil have his way. Um, I woke up, we went to my mom and dad's last weekend, um, or Thursday and Friday, just to visit them and um, just to love on my family because I hadn't seen them in a while. And I woke up on Friday morning with the weirdest thing going on with this, I've never had anything like that. I, it wasn't a stiff neck really, but when I would bend my head down, I had this massive pain that went up the back of my head. Never had anything like that. And it was just really weird. First thing I did was I laid my hand on my head <laughs> and I spoke to it and I told it to go. And, um, and then I had Kent pray for me. And this was what was so cool because my mom and dad aren't super strong believers in the power of prayer. They think, oh yeah, I can use all the prayer you can give me, but they don't really believe that it's going to work. So anyway, um, I had Kent pray for me with my mom and dad there. And I had him lay hands on my, my head where the pain was and speak over it. Within a very short time, it started to decrease and decrease and decrease. And by the afternoon, it was almost completely gone. And we went up north. And um, I don't usually talk about things that are going on in my body. But for some reason, I said, I have been fighting this weird thing, but it's getting better. That's why I said it. I wanted to tell my mom and dad it was improving. Anyway, to make a long story short, they started telling stories about this person, this person, this person, and this person that had the same weird thing happen. So basically, instead of a stiff neck, it was probably viral of some sort. So we spoke against that thing and told it to go, and it went. And then I had a third attack, same day in my stomach, this weird stomach thing going. I said, oh, no, not receiving that either. So the point I'm making is that as he is or as he thinks, so is he. As he believes, 
as he perceives, so is he. Those things come into manifestation in our life as we expect them, as we believe and perceive. Now, I'm not saying it, I've had 100% act, you know, success, but you know what? I'm going to give God the glory when I do have success. As he thinks in his heart, so is he. Now I want you to turn to Psalm 91 with me. This is a scripture that God just unveiled to me a few years ago, and now within the last few months, again, I've just been meditating on it, Psalm 91, and looking at how our knowing God, knowing his love, knowing the true nature of who he is, affects how we receive. The first thing I'm going to do is read it directly from the scripture, and then I'm going to do a little paraphrase thing as I explain it. This is from the Amplified. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high. Because he knows and understands my name, has a personal knowledge of my mercy, love, and kindness, trusts and relies on me, knowing I will never forsake him. No, never. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. So this is at the very end of Psalm 91. The whole psalm is beautiful. But I just want to focus on this part because it, it has a cause and effect to this, these couple of verses. First, what I want to read is our part. God says, because of our knowing him and our loving him, there will be a result and a promise. Actually, there's seven. There's seven. Um, results of our knowing him. So I'm going to reorder the scripture a little bit. And this is what's written in your handout. So our part, because you have set your love upon me, God says, because you have set your love upon me, because you know and understand my name, because you have a personal knowledge of my mercy, my love, and my kindness, because you trust and rely on me, knowing I will never forsake you. No, never. I'm going to stop there for a sec. Because we know him, because we have set our love upon him. And friends, the reason we can love him is because he first loved us. Because we've set our love upon him, and because we know his name. I'm going to be talking about the word know a lot today. But because we know his name, and his name is big. He has many facets to his name. He's Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. He's Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. He's Jehovah Nisi, the God of victory. He's Jehovah uh, Jireh, the provider, God our provider, and so much more. He's so much because we know his name. Because, because we know his name, we trust him. We can't trust somebody we don't know. Because we know who he is and that he's trustworthy and that he's faithful. We trust him. We rely on him. Because we know him, we know that he doesn't leave us or forsake us. All that's kind of connected. And then 
this scripture gives us promises. There's seven of them. Therefore, I will deliver you, God says. Uh, What will he deliver us from? From a cold, from a stiff neck, from cancer, from uh, whatever the situation is that you need delivered from. He will deliver us. He will set you on high. I love that one. He'll set you above, not beneath. With Jesus, we're above the situation because the enemy's been defeated. And we are in that place, that position above the enemy. We have authority over the enemy. We are set on high, above and not beneath. The third part of the promise says, You shall call upon me, and I will answer you. That's good news. That's good news that we can go to him like the psalmist. Call upon his name with our needs. Call upon him with our thanksgiving. Call upon him with whatever. And he will answer us. Number four, I will be with you in trouble and I will rescue you. What do you need rescue from? The promise is he will be with us and he will rescue us. Number five, he will honor us. This one just blows me away. He will honor us. Like he did that morning when I woke up and he said, Cindy, you've been speaking against this virus. Just watch what's going to happen. It's going to leave. It's a good job, girl. He does that. He honors us. He, he affirms us. He approves of us. And he tells it to us if we listen. He honors us. It's such a, a, a joy to be honored by your children or by your parents or by your friends but how much more to be honored by God. And God says when we set our love on him, when we know him, that he'll honor us. Number five, or number six, with long life will I satisfy you. When he originally gave me this rhema word, I was fighting um, with fear. I had a lot of fear. Uh, a symptom in my body that was pointing to a recurrence of cancer. And God gave me this promise, this whole, these two verses. He said, Cindy, you love me. You set your love on me. You know me. And because of that, I will satisfy you with long life. I took that promise. I said, thank you, Father. I receive it. I receive it. And the cool thing is it's not just years of life. It's satisfaction. A life that is satisfied. I will satisfy you with long life. And that word satisfy, that goes right along with with what Jesus said. He said, I came, my purpose is that you'll have a full life to the overflow, complete, satisfied, not lacking, not missing, not feeling like you missed out on something, but full to the top and overflowing, a full life that is satisfied, And number seven, and I will show you my salvation. And that word salvation in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew, that word salvation is the same name as the name Jesus, Yeshua. I will show you my Yeshua, my salvation. And Jesus' name means salvation, deliverance, and victory. Now look at those seven things on your sheet. 
That comes just from knowing him. Those promises are a result of knowing the true nature of God and perceiving his nature. Isn't that awesome? Okay, the next statement on your paper says, I love this. It's really hard to, to disbelieve God once you know him. Wouldn't you second that, Fran? It's hard to disbelieve when you know how good he is. You know, people say, oh, how do you believe? Well, how do you disbelieve? We've got such an amazing God. Before we talk about the word no, I want to give you a, a little bit of a, a, a caution. And that is that doing isn't knowing. Doing does not equal knowing. One of the biggest problems that we see, that we experience, is that we learn the mechanics of how Christianity works. We learn how to do things, and then we try to put them into practice without really knowing God. The mechanics of Christianity do not produce the all things. In 1 Peter, it said those all things that pertain to life and godliness come from knowing God. So the all things, the fruit, don't come out of the mechanics of Christianity. They come out of really knowing God. Now let me, let me just give you a little, um, explain this a little bit. The mechanics of Christianity. When you come to healing class, we talk about a lot of mechanics, and they're not bad, they're good. We talk about reading the Bible. We talk about praise and worship. We talk about prayer. We talk about speaking to your body. We talk about um, uh, uh, confessing the word, those kinds of things. Those are mechanics. Now, those things often lead to knowing God better. They often lead to knowing God better. In my case, that's what happened. When I was first diagnosed with cancer and Jenny um, prayed with me for my salvation, she gave me a little blue Charles Capps book. She said, Cindy, this is your medicine. Read these aloud every day. And I did. That was mechanics. But the key is, as I was reading those every day, God started to speak to me. Because that's what he does through his word. And over time... That grew deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper in my heart. And I came to know, I grew to know God through reading those scriptures. I started reading the Bible for the first time in my life. I'd never read the Bible before. And God started to show me for the first time his heart through the Bible. He started to show me like we read last week when we read those accounts of Jesus. He started to show me that a lot of people were healed. <laughs> Everybody was healed in multitudes. He started to show me the compassion of Christ, that God healed people who certainly weren't perfect. I mean, he started to show me really good things. So I don't want you to say, I don't want you to think that this is bad, because it isn't. But we just want you to, to differentiate the difference between just doing things to do them and growing to know God through the, the activities or whatever you want to call the mechanics of Christianity. Because you can get into a, a kind of a legalistic or ritualistic kind of thing and just do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. And it's just time spent 
doing, but not with your heart. So I just wanted to differentiate there. Doing is not knowing. Okay. We're going to look at one Old Testament scripture now, and we're going to look at one New Testament scripture. There's a lot. I could, I could spend weeks and weeks doing this. But I'm just going to look at one scripture in each Old and New Testament. And we're going to look at knowing God. The first scripture we're going to look at is in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Very common scripture. I love this scripture. And I'm going to read it out of first the New King James and then the Amplified. We're going to be looking at the the word know, K-N-O-W, in the Hebrew, and then we're going to look at that word in the Greek. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Now the word acknowledge in this scripture is the Hebrew word yada, Y-A-D-A. And you'll see on your handout, it says the yada factor. We're going to talk about that in a sec. But first I want to read it from the next translation. This is from the Amplified. Lean on, trust in, and be confident in the Lord with all your heart and mind. And do not rely on your own insight or understanding. In all your ways, know, recognize, and acknowledge him. And he will direct and make straight and plain your paths. Now in the second translation, there's three words underlined. Know, recognize, and acknowledge. So they took the word yada and they amplified it or gave it a deeper meaning in the Amplified Bible. So that's what we're going to talk about. So just leave it on this screen. The first scripture, the verse 5, talks about the importance of trusting in God without getting in the way with our, our own reasoning. This is kind of a tough one because we're humans. God's given us an intellect. It is a gift from him to us. He, he doesn't create bad stuff. So our intellect is good. But the problem is when our intellect or our reasoning gets in the way of just simply trusting, where we reason things out, we question, we reason, we research, we go on and on to the nth degree instead of simply trusting God like a child. And God gives us a little warning. He says, trust, trust in the Lord with all your heart, but don't lean on your own understanding. And then the second verse is where we're really going to focus. And then he gives us direction, what to do, how to grow, how to come to know him more because as we know him more, we're going to trust him more. And the second scripture says, in all your ways, know, recognize, and acknowledge him. And then he'll direct your paths. So that word know, the word yada, That word know isn't just an intellectual knowing. That word know means to perceive. For you to to grow in that knowledge, it's not just an intellectual knowledge. It's a knowledge that grows deeper and deeper in perception. The very first week that we started this series, I made a statement, and I want to repeat it right now. The completion, the depth 
of the life that we live will be a reflection of how you perceive God. Your perception of God determines how you receive from him. So this yada factor, this knowing God, is growing in perception of him. It is a process of continually growing to know him more and more and more. Connected with this knowing is experience and encounters and revelation. Those are all Holy Spirit um, gifts that go with the knowing. The, the experience I had over the last couple of weeks with, with having something attack my body, speaking to it, have God love on me, and then see it leave. That was growing to know and perceive even deeper because of the experience that went with it. Those experiences, those encounters can come in many, many, many different ways. God incidences. I love God incidences. As those God incidences happen, I recognize them and I say, that was amazing, God. I'm in awe of you again. And that yada factor just grows. It grows. The perception of his goodness, the perception of his will, of his truth, grows deeper and deeper and deeper. That's the yada factor. Another component of that word yada, when you look in the, the concordance and study the, the Hebrew meaning, is the same term that is used for a man knowing a woman intimately and joining together, making love. I'm just going to get real. We're all grown-ups here. And conceiving a new baby, a child. In the Bible, it, it talks about Adam knowing Eve, and then they had Abel. Adam knowing Eve, and then they had their son Cain. So when you think about that, when a, a man and a woman are joined together in that kind of an intimate relationship, part of the man comes into the woman. Part of the woman goes into the man. They are joined in a very spiritual way. And then there is a, 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 a conception. So when we take that and apply it to the yada factor, knowing God, when we come to know him, his promises are implanted in us. His love is distributed into our heart. Our love is given freely to him. We surrender to him. He comes into us. There's this, this passing back and forth of our very heart, God's heart into me, my heart into him. And there's conception. Tomorrow I'm going to be speaking at another church, and the title of my message is, Are You Pregnant? And it has to do with this whole thing of, of receiving. And this is later in my message, so I'm going to just hold on to that thought for a minute. So this whole idea of knowing intimately, knowing God, knowing his promises 
intimately. That's part of the yada factor. I want to give you the definition from Noah's Webster of, for the word acknowledge. Because in the, um, in the, Tom, you want to go back to the um, New King James Version. It says, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. That's what it says anyway. That's okay. It says, that's okay, totally. That was it. <laughs> in all your ways, it's verse 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Well, the word acknowledge is a big word, but the word yad is bigger. Know, recognize, perceive, acknowledge. But I want to define acknowledge. From the 1828 Noah Webster Dictionary, to acknowledge means to own. Now think about that for a minute. God says, in all your ways, own it. So as you experience God, as you have testimonies, as you have God incidences, Own it. Say, that's mine. God gave that to me. That's my little nugget. That's my little kiss on the cheek. That's my treasure, whatever, however you want to say it. I own it. And then it's even more. It's to avow, A-V-O-W. And to avow means to openly defend it or declare it. And to agree, to declare your assent or your agreement So when, oh, I just felt the anointing just now as I said that. As we acknowledge what he's doing in our life, as we own it, as we take it into our hearts and then give it out, defend it, um, declare it is the word I was looking for, declare it and say, I agree with you, God. This is from you. As we do that, the scripture says that he will direct our paths. This is good news. The word direct is a Hebrew word, yashar, Y-A-S-H-A-R. And it means to make straight, smooth, plain. And past has an S on it. God says when we acknowledge, when we know him, when we grow to know him, when we acknowledge what he's done in our lives, he will direct He will make straight and clear and plain our paths. So that's powerful for living that complete life that Jesus came to give us. Our paths in our marriage will be clear and straight and plain. Our paths in in our parenting, clear, straight, plain, whatever it is. In the, the journey you're on in your healing, sometimes that can be confusing can be a confusing thing to deal with. But God's promise says that when we grow in this yada factor, in knowing him and acknowledging him, the path won't be confusing. It'll be straight and plain. Isn't that good news? That's a promise to stand on. To say, God, that's your word. Just like I did with the whole virus thing. God, that's your promise. Okay, we're going to look at another scripture from the New Testament. This is 1 John chapter 4. And again, we're talking about that word, know. This is near the end of your Bible. 1 John chapter 4. The word know in the Greek is gnosko. It's very, very similar in meaning to yada, gnosko, G-I-N-O-S-K-O. And here's the scripture. 
verse 16. And we know, understand, recognize, are conscious of, by observation and by experience, and believe, we adhere to and put faith in and rely on the love God cherishes for us. I'm going to stop for a sec because that was a whole lot of words in one sentence. I'm going to, make, I'm going to simplify it. The scripture says, we know and believe the love God cherishes for us. We know and believe Faith is a direct result of knowing God better. When we know the love of God, our faith rises up. We believe. This particular scripture is about knowing God's love. We're talking about knowing the true nature of God, and that's number one. God is love. God is love, and he who dwells and continues in love dwells and continues in God, and God dwells and continues in him. In this union and communion with him, love is brought to completion and attains perfection with us, that we may have confidence for the day of judgment with assurance and boldness to face him, because as he is, so are we in this world. There's no fear in love. Dread does not exist, but full-grown, complete, perfect love turns fear out of doors and expels every trace of terror, for fear brings with it the thought of punishment, and so he who is afraid has not reached the full maturity of love, is not yet grown into love's complete perfection. We love him because he first loved us. Wow. Wow. We know and believe the love that God has for us. But this word know, very much like the word yada, means to perceive, to grow to know. And as we grow to know the love of God, fear doesn't exist. Because God's love, knowing his love, Knowing his love grows us up into that place of believing his love. We know that he's not going to leave us or forsake us. And we can stand in confidence and boldness and assurance because of that love. That word know, again, is the Jewish word for, for, for making love. Sexual intercourse, whatever, you want, whatever name you want to put on it. It's the same word. At the beginning of that part in my Bible, it says consummation of God's love. Consummation of God's love through union and communion with him. We are the womb for all of this to happen. In, in man and, and woman, females have a an organ called a womb that receives the seed and becomes the, the, the baby's conceived, the baby grows, and all of that. We, spiritually, are the womb to come to know God. And there are four 
four things that happen in us as we come to know God. The first is receiving. Receiving. First we receive. I'm just going to give you all four words, then I'm going to talk about it for a sec. Then we conceive. Then it is incubated. That promise, that truth, that, that knowing thing, that knowing of what God has given us is incubated. And then we deliver. And then we deliver. So I, I was thinking about this as I was preparing, and I was thinking back to, to when I first went through this process. First, I received something I'd never received before. You know, many times, I, I was 43 when I was diagnosed with cancer, and when I, when I first chose to receive, because we have a choice. We have a free will. And I had been invited to receive the good news many times in my life, and I had said, no, thank you. Because of religion, because of a religious spirit, where I basically said, oh, no, I'm good. I don't need what you have to offer. I did need it. I needed it desperately, but I didn't know I needed it. When I was at the end of myself and I couldn't save myself, I said yes. I received. The first thing I received was my Savior, Jesus. When I received Jesus, I also received a, one, one promise. And that promise was that Jesus still heals today. I'd never heard that promise before. And it was conceived. The same day I received Jesus, that promise was given to me. And because I received it, I was open to receive, I conceived. But when I conceived that promise, just like when a woman conceives, there is one male cell and one female cell that join together, and it's so microscopic and so tiny, you don't even know you're pregnant. And it takes a long time before it shows that you're pregnant. I conceived, but it was such a tiny little seed. But I did conceive. And then over time, over many, many months, it was incubated. It was incubated as I started to grow to know that G-I-N-O-S-K-O word, gnosko. I came to know something I'd never known before. I came to experience Jesus in a new way. All of a sudden, my prayers were answered. All of a sudden, I was seeing God incidences. All of a sudden, I was, I was reading the Word, and it was, it was starting to make sense to me and be unveiled to me and minister to me. I started going to church, and all of a sudden, I was being richly fed, and I was like, I couldn't get enough. I couldn't get enough. I just wanted more. I wanted more. I wanted more. See, I was incubating that promise that was in me. And many months later, when the time was complete, just like a pregnancy, I delivered. I received healing. And now I was probably having little deliveries all along the way as God was just birthing new things in me. But that was a big one. <laughs> so there's this process. When we come to know God, we, we have to make a choice. Part of Part of it's our choice, receiving. The conception is just a God thing. Ugh, it's miraculous. But then the incubating, that's us. We need to incubate it. We need to just meditate. We talk about that a lot in here. Meditate on God's promises. Keep your eyes on Jesus like Tom said. We're going to talk about that in a sec. So growing to know God 
has everything to do with receiving. In Philemon 1, verse 6, it says, Paul's praying, and he says, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. I like this scripture a lot. We're talking again about acknowledgement. And this scripture gives us another little nugget of truth. It says, as we acknowledge what God's doing, our faith will be energized. That word effective, I mean effective, our faith will become effective. That word means operative, energized, active. As we acknowledge what God's doing, something is happening. There's power as we share what God is doing. It's, it, it, it activates our faith. And there is powerful result in that. I'm going to give you an example of that right now. And this isn't in your notes, but this is a piece of my testimony that um, I've shared before, but it really um, highlights this concept coming to pass in a powerful way. Um, after I was healed um, of cancer, right after I got my good report, I started having symptoms in my neck. Immediately after I got that all clear, the doctor says, yes, you're healed. I started having symptoms in my neck. Uh, that put a lot of fear in me. I had originally had a PET scan that showed cancer in my neck, my abdomen, in my uh, lymph nodes in my back, in my groin, throughout my whole lymphatic system. And they had done surgery on my abdomen. They'd taken out the lymph node in my groin. So that was pretty, I mean, they really looked at it, but they never looked in my neck. And after I got that good report, the enemy, his, his purpose, stealing, killing, destroying, he tried to get me to buy a lie. And I had a lot of fear. At that time, I had two huge warnings from God. The first one came through my pastor. And she told me, she said, Cindy, you cannot, you can't go there. You can't receive it. You have to fight it. Don't buy it. It's a lie of the enemy. Don't receive it. Tell it no. She was very, very strong when she was talking to me. And I took heed. And then a couple nights later, I, I woke up first thing in the morning again, and I had a scripture on my heart, and the scripture was Deuteronomy 1. I'd never read Deuteronomy. I'd never read the Old Testament, ever. It was brand new to me. So I opened up my Bible, and I read Deuteronomy 1. And the gist of the chapter, I read the whole chapter, because I didn't have a verse. I just had Deuteronomy chapter 1 is what I heard from, from the Holy Spirit. In that chapter, it is, um, it is like a summary of the whole Exodus. And basically what I, what I read as I read it and studied it and thought about it, what I saw was that the Israelites had had one good report after another, one miracle after another, from the being released from bondage with all of the um, plagues that, that caused Pharaoh finally to say, I'll let you go, to the parting of the Red Sea and them being able to go through the Red Sea and then the water covering up the Egyptians and drowning them all, to having food provided, the manna, the water from the rock, the, the fire by, by night, the clouds by day, miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And yet they still complained and grumbled. And then in the same chapter of Deuteronomy, Jesus, or Jesus told Moses to have them go to the promised land. 
But before they did that, they decided to send 12 spies to check it out. And when they did, 10 of the 12 spies saw the bigness of the problem. They came back and they told about the giants, the Amorites, that there was no way that they could conquer them. Two of the ten spies, Joshua and Caleb, came back and they had seen the exact same thing that the first ten had seen. But instead of focusing on the problem, they saw the promise. God promised them the promised land. They saw the promised land. They saw the land of milk and honey. And they came back reporting the promise and saying it was really good, just like you said. And we can, we can take care of those Amorites because God will help us. And then, and I don't think this was in Deuteronomy 1. I came to know this later because, I, again, I, didn't, I had never read the Old Testament. I came to know later that Joshua and Caleb were the only ones that made it to the promised land. The whole rest, all of the rest of the people, those ten spies and all the generations died in the wilderness. They never got there. Well, in the middle of Deuteronomy 1, 1, there are two verses. And this isn't on the screen. I'm just going to read them. This is verse 29 through 31. Moses told the people, Do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God, who's going before you, will fight for you, as he did for you in Egypt, before your very eyes, and in the desert. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you, as a father carries his son, all the way you went until you reached this place. So I had a choice. I could either buy the enemy's lie of recurring cancer, or I could choose to believe God's good report. So I saw God give me that warning in the scripture, and I made the choice to stop paying attention to what was going on in my neck and to start acknowledging Every good thing that God had already done. I started acknowledging, and I'm not going to go through it now, but I had lots of good reports. So I started to acknowledge all of those good reports and everything that God had done for me. I started to go back through my journal and read all of the testimonies and all of the little things, the God incidences that he had done through my whole journey. I started to focus on that. And I took that same scripture from Deuteronomy and I made it a declaration. I made it personal. And I still... I still, to this day, declare this over my life. And this is how I declare it. I say, Father God, I thank you for those words you gave me in Deuteronomy 1. You told me, you said, Cindy, don't be terrified. Don't be afraid of recurring cancer. For I will continue to fight for you, just as I did when I first healed your body of cancer before your very eyes. You saw how I carried you, the way a father carries his child. And I will continue to go ahead of you on your blessed journey. That's right from Deuteronomy. I just took the, just personalized it. I started to declare that. I, start, I kept acknowledging what God had already done. And the symptoms in my neck left. It took a while. Months. But I stopped focusing and I stopped wallowing in fear. And I put my eyes on the promise. I acknowledged what God had already done. And that took me, it was effective. Like Philemon 1.6 says, my faith was activated as I acknowledged the good instead of acknowledging the stuff that was going on in my body. There's one more point I want to cover tonight. 
And that is becoming God-conscious instead of self-centered. Self-centeredness will devastate believers in their relationship with God. Self-centeredness will um, cancel out or abort Gnosko or the autofactor. When we're self-centered, we're consumed with ourself. Now, it could be one of two things. In your notes, it says we might be obsessed with our performance. With our performance. Like, what are we doing? Remember the mechanics of Christianity. We might be obsessed with the mechanics, with our performance. We might be obsessed with our body, our symptoms, our problems. But whatever the case, we're self-absorbed. We're self-centered. Self-centeredness is pride. And it can work in two ways. It can work when we think we're better than everybody else. That's what we typically think pride of being. But it can also be if we think we're worse than everybody else. It's still pride because we're focused on ourselves. If you look at yourself and you say, Oh, I'm not holy enough. Oh, I don't have enough faith. Oh, I, you know, I, I, I live in this, this particular sin. You're still self-centered. You're still focused on you instead of God. Self-centeredness can take you away from that gift that God has for us of knowing him. He wants us to know him. He's available. He's totally there. It's not him. It's our choice. We can focus on ourselves, or we can choose to focus on him. A term that you hear frequently when, you, when you're in the realm of churches or, or um, religion is that we are supposed to die to self. So what does that mean? It means to get your attention so focused on someone else, God, that you forget about yourself. The example I want to use is when you are in a new relationship and you're falling in love. There is your attention's on only that person to the exclusion of all else. One track mind. That's how you can that's dying to self. When Ken and I started dating, oh that guy. <laughs> He was only focused on me. He would do anything for me. He still does. But boy, it was to the extreme. And that's what God wants us to do with him. To, be, to die to self means that our mind is so focused on God and about who God is that we literally lose consciousness of ourselves. When Adam and Eve were in the garden... Before the fall, they were still naked. We talked about this last week. But they were so God-conscious that they weren't self-conscious. It was after they sinned, it was after they fell, that they started to be conscious of themselves and realize they were naked. Before that, they didn't even know because they were so God-conscious. It means our consciousness is purged from dead works. The law religion. Our conscience is purged from feelings of guilt, condemnation, and inadequacy. 
That's not even a part of who we think of when we think of ourselves. So the question is, how is that possible? How can we possibly do that? The reason that we're capable of being completely God-conscious and not self-conscious isn't because of us. It's because of what Jesus did for us. We're going to read a scripture now. This is Hebrews chapter 10. And if you have your Bible, would you turn there? This is one you're probably going to want to mark in your Bible so you can go back and read this and take time to let this sink in. We're going to read verses 1 through 9. We're going to look at the old way and the new way that was established through Jesus and why we can be God-conscious instead of sin-conscious or self-conscious. Verse 1. For since the law has merely a rude outline, foreshadowing of the good things to come, instead of fully expressing those things, it can never, the law, <clears throat> the law can never, by offering the same sacrifices continually year after year, make perfect those who approach its altars. For if it were otherwise, would these sacrifices not have stopped being offered? Since the worshipers had once for all been cleansed, they would no longer have any guilt or consciousness of sin. But as it is, these sacrifices annually bring a fresh remembrance of sins to be atoned for because the blood of bulls and goats is powerless to take sins away. So before we go on, let's just stop here for a sec. In the Old Covenant, basically what this is explaining is that if the Old Covenant were good enough to purge us of sin, then they wouldn't be, it wouldn't have to be done over and over and over again. If it were good enough, then there would no longer be guilt. There would no longer be sin consciousness. But there was because sin was only covered. It had to be repeated year after year after year. Now I'm going to go to verse 5 through 7. This is a prophetic word about Jesus. And this was, I didn't look up where it was, where it came from, but I can probably look really quick. Just a sec. Verse 5 through 7. It came from Psalm 40, verse 6 through 8. Hence, when he, Christ, entered into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. But instead, you have made ready a body for me to offer. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no delight. And then I said, Behold, here I am, coming to do your will, O God, to fulfill that which is written of me in the volume of the book. So Jesus is saying, he's using this word of prophecy from Psalms, and he's saying, God said... These burnt offerings is not what I want. It's not the best. And Jesus said, here I am. I'm ready. Behold, here I am coming to do your will, O God, to fulfill what is written. And then here's the fulfillment. Verse 8 and 9. When he said just before, now, now the, the, the um, author of Hebrews is explaining this. When he said just before, you have neither desired nor have you taken delight in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, all of which are offered according to the law, he then went on to say, Behold, here I am coming to do your will. 
Thus, therefore, because of that, he does away with, Jesus does away with and annuls the first former order as a means of expiating sin so that he might inaugurate and establish a second latter order. In the word expiating, it says so that he could expiate sin. That means to do away with. It means to extinguish the guilt. I looked this up in the dictionary. Expiating means to extinguish the guilt. That's what Jesus did. It means to make amends for. That's what Jesus did. He made amends for us. He paid the price for us. He took away sin from us. That's what expiating means. So, our inheritance through Jesus is that we can be so God-conscious so loved, so forgiven, so cleansed, remitted all of our sins that we are able to approach God without awareness of sin. Now that might be completely out of your paradigm. You might say, oh, Cindy, that's not possible. I got all this stuff weighing on me. Well, guys, that is not yours to keep. Jesus paid the price. You have a choice. You can hold on to it. But if you do, Jesus died in vain. Because he paid the price to expiate our sin. So we can go to God without sin consciousness. We can go to him Boldly and freely, because he loves us and he shows us that love. He demonstrated his love through Jesus. That, this, is, this is a concept that is so big. And to me, it was completely new. And this is something, literally, I have been just taking time with God to talk to him about and to let him grow it deeper and deeper, that gnosko or that yada factor, deeper and deeper and deeper in me because it's kind of against human human um, character. You know, we feel like, oh, I did it. I have to hold on to the guilt. I did it. Oh, boy, I've got this, this darkness over my soul. That's how I grew up. But that's not true. That's not true. And we need to get that lie and let go of it and receive the truth. The true nature of God, the true fulfillment of our inheritance. Hebrews 4 verse 16 says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our glorious God, of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. And we can. We can. And God wants us to come to that throne of his grace without guilt, without sin consciousness, because Jesus paid for what we owed. So on the last page of your handout, I've just just given you some application steps to help you to, to apply this yada factor, this gnosko factor into your life to come to know him 
more. Because as we grow to know him, our receiving will be on a whole different level. The first suggestion is to keep your eyes on Jesus and the finished work of the cross. Get your mind so much on Jesus and his finished work that you completely forget about your own situation. The second suggestion, feed your heart on what God has done or is doing without stumbling over what he doesn't seem to be doing. That's what I did when I had that issue with my neck. I chose to acknowledge what God had done and took my eyes off of that. I just made a choice what to look at and what not to look at. The third suggestion, pay attention. Write down those God incidences. Write down everything that you see God doing for you and with you. Write it down. Review it. Thank him. Praise him. That will build your expectation for the next thing. Share those testimonies. Share them. Acknowledge them. Philemon 1.6. Your faith will be activated, energized, operative as you acknowledge those things, as you share those testimonies. The next suggestion. God can't help but show up when declaration of his goodness is made. So declare his goodness. We do that through praise and worship. We do that through just speaking about his goodness, sharing about his goodness, talking to others about his goodness. But the key is that we don't do it with intention to get something, but we do it acknowledging what God has already done. Not in, with intentions, okay, if I, if I praise God, then he'll do this. No, praise him for what he's already done. Praise him for the healing that he already paid for. Praise him for the healing that's already in your body, whether you see it or not. Praise him for it. And the last one, God is bigger. <laughs> He's so big. If we took every single huge thing that's in front of our face, in our body, in our situations, whatever it is, and said, God, you're bigger than this. You're bigger than any roadblock. You're bigger than any obstacle. There's no problem I will ever have that's bigger than you, God. There's no problem that's bigger than the answer, and God's the answer. If you just declare it. This is one of the declarations I say every day. And somehow when those big things come, and I've spoken this out loud every day, there's nothing bigger than you, God. You'll hear me say it when I pray for you. Because this is in my heart. And I, when there's a great, big, huge problem in front of my face, I want to say Mm -mm, that's nothing compared to my big God. And so that's what I declare. That's what I focus on. It's not about how big your faith is. It's about how big your God is. Somehow it's so much easier when you don't have to worry about your own faith. Because it's about your big God. And he's big. He's great. So what I would like you to do now, I have a blessing. I just... I want you to just turn your paper upside down. I don't want you to look at it. That's for you to take home. But what I'm going to do now is I am going to pray a blessing over you. It's the same blessing that's on your paper, so you don't have to worry about not having it. Except I put yours in first person, and I'm going to speak it over you. And I want you to receive this blessing. I'm just going to speak a blessing over you that that knowing of God increases. So just put your hands like this. This is, just a, this is just a position of receiving. Close your eyes. 
as I bless you with this prayer. I bless you right now with an intimate relationship with your Father. Knowing Him intimately. Abiding in Him. And knowing His direction in each and every path of your life. I bless you with a new energy that activates your faith as you acknowledge every good thing that the Lord has done and is doing in you, with you, and through you. I bless you with a mind that is so utterly God-conscious that you literally lose consciousness of yourself. I bless you with knowing your forgiving Father, your caring Father, your approving Father, your accepting Father, your Father who is with you and for you, your Father who loves you like crazy. I bless you with knowing God more and more deeply and truly and making him known to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.